Our sermon passage is from Exodus chapter 12, verses 28 through 42 and 50 through 51. Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in the land of Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600, 600 men, 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the, the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, and on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. Thank you, Dylan. You guys may be seated. <clears throat> Let's pray together. Father and our God, help us today. First, Lord, I pray that you would help your people by helping me speak your word. Enable me and empower me by your spirit. Lord, I pray you would help your people to receive what you are saying. And not only to receive it in faith, but to receive it believing. And to receive it in a teachable posture. Lord, above all, we pray that your church, this church, Redeemer Church, would honor you would glorify you, would build your kingdom and advance your work in this world. And Lord, we need your help. So even now, begin to work all of this out in us and through us and for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's really great to see all of you uh, here with us this morning. If you haven't already, please take your Bible Turn to the book of Exodus and uh, chapter 12, where Dylan was just reading for us. 
Over the last several weeks, we've been in this one chapter of the scripture. Uh, This chapter is about an event known as the Passover. Uh, The Passover is an event of God delivering his people from slavery and bondage in Egypt. It's the central event in the book of Exodus. It's the central event in the Old Testament life of the people of Israel in that this event, the Passover, prepares God's people for the coming of his son and the ultimate Passover that comes through the blood of Christ. So as we've been walking through this story, we've, we've talked about its importance. We've talked about it was so important that God spent a lot of time preparing his people for it, almost like don't miss what's about to happen. And then he established annual ongoing remembrances of what he was about to do before he did it. Now, I didn't get to preach this last week because I was out of town on vacation, but, but it, it, it's a very confident thing to say, hey, I'm about to do something so great that you should remember it every year forever. Like, that's confidence. And the Lord is due such confidence. What we're looking at today is the actual event itself. The Lord did it. He delivered his people. He broke Pharaoh. He broke the will of the Egyptians. And God's people are joyfully, not joyfully, they are eagerly escorted out of the land because the people of Egypt understand the power of God and they understand God's commitment to his people. So they say, just go. But it came at great cost. It came at the cost of a lamb for each household amongst God's people, and it came at the cost of the firstborn of every household in the land of Egypt. The main point to be taken away from the Exodus and to be taken away from the Passover and to be taken away from the book of Exodus and to be taken away from the totality of the scripture is that God saves his people. And it's definite, it's, it's very clear that God did it. The Lord does the delivering of his people. And at the end of the story, his people are free from slavery. His people have provision for the journey. And it's clear to all, including the Egyptians, that Yahweh, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Israelites, the God who would send his own son into the world to redeem and restore, this God has delivered his people. The Lord did it. Any takeaway from this passage beyond the Lord did it is missing the point. God delivered his people. So let's look at this and let's see um, what the Lord might be saying to us in this passage. So the first point, if you want to take notes this morning, The Lord did it. Did what? He delivered his people from bondage and slavery in Egypt. 
He kept his word. He kept and fulfilled his promises. He's moving them to the place that was promised to their fathers. We get two summary sections in this passage that really show us what's going on. First, look at verses 28 and 29. Then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. So what's being said here is God's people received his word, They obeyed his word, and they waited on the Lord to do what only the Lord could do. Then again, verse 50 and 51. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. Again, what do we get here? The people heard the commands of the Lord. They oriented their, they oriented their lives in response to the word of the Lord. And in faith, they waited on the Lord to do his work and to deliver his people. At the core of this story is the reality that the Israelites could not deliver themselves. They couldn't set themselves free. They couldn't let themselves go. They couldn't break out or cause an uprising or a rebellion. They were stuck, except God delivered them. And the way that God delivered them was by speaking his word calling them to respond and calling them to wait on him to act. What we see in verses 28 and 29 and verses 50 and 51 is just this. God spoke, God's people believed what he said and oriented their lives around his word and they waited on him to act. Now, don't misread this. Don't misread this as because they obeyed, God chose to deliver them. That would not be the way to read it. The way to read it would be God spoke a promise. God's people believed the promise. And in acting in faith, they waited on the Lord to do the saving work. That's the way to read what's going on here. Remember, they were told with great specificity. To kill the right kind of animal on the right day, at the right time of day, in the right way, to cook it in the right way, to take some of its blood and put it in the right place on the doorpost of the entryway of the house. Then to go into the house and to stay in the house and to wait on the Lord because he would bring death across the land, but he would pass over the homes with the door on the blood, the blood of the lamb on the doorway. What we're being told in this passage is God speaks his promise and his word to his people. 
is people hear and receive and orient themselves around his word. And in so doing, they are waiting on the Lord to act. And this was true for the Israelites in this Exodus story. And it's always true for the people of faith. The people of faith are those who listen to the Lord. Orient our lives around what he says and wait on the Lord to act. You might say, okay, why drive this nail home today? And here's why. Because as I was reading this story over the last few weeks, I just realized that it cuts against everything that's ingrained in us as the American spirit. Do exactly what you're told, exactly when you're told, and wait on God. And we're hardwired, for whatever reason, to do what we want, when we want, how we want, because we're able to fix things. So much so that we say heretical things like God helps those who help themselves. I believe I'm in good company when I say, in short, modern Americans don't like being told what to do. We don't like being asked to change what we do. And we want immediate results. And all three of those things are a challenge to living by faith. The essence of living by faith is to hear what God says, not only as true, but as ultimate and as right and as best for his people and for his world. That's at the essence of our faith. We are a people shaped by his word. Without his word, we don't know him. Without his word, we don't know his son. Without his word, we don't know his ways. Without his word, we're left to ourselves. And I'm here to tell you that would be a horrible reality. And yet, deep in our core, we don't like being told what to do. But we are a people who need God's Word spoken to us and over us because God's word is a good gift for us. So maturity as a person of faith and maturity as a people of faith moves through hearing and receiving what God has spoken. We don't like changing what we do. We don't like altering our ways. We like what we like, the way that we like it, and we are confident that it's right because, well, we've been told, do what you want, pursue what you want, dream what you dream, believe what you believe. 
And yet, at the essence of our faith is a God who has loved us in spite of our sin, in spite of our rebellion, in spite of our failures, in spite of our wrongness and our hard-heartedness. And he, by grace, has chosen to change who we are and change what we desire and render great transformation in us The essence of our faith is being transformed by the God who saves. But we don't like changing what we do. And oh, how we want immediate results. You can Google anything in less than two seconds. From 80% of our country. The other 20%, they're just without the Google. No service. Spent the last week there. We want immediate results. We don't want to work for anything. And almost everything in Our lives that are of eternal value have come in a slow process of transformation as we wait on the Lord to deliver us and bring about his work. Our faith is not rooted in having all the right things and getting all the right results. Our faith is rooted in waiting on the Lord to work for his people. Later through the prophet Isaiah, we are told, no eye has seen, no ear has heard a God like ours who works for those who wait for him. Our faith is rooted in waiting on the Lord. This isn't fun, is it? No, it's hard. But it's from this posture of difficulty and longing and anticipation that we look to the Lord and we cry out to him and say, would you work? What I want, me, what I want to learn from the book of Exodus and I want us to learn from the book of Exodus is the work of the Lord comes in the timing and the pace of the Lord. Let's listen. Let's reorient and let's wait. Now, you might read this story and might say, okay, but it said do this, and then the next day they did it, and then the next day they were gone. That feels pretty quick. Except the passage says they had been there for 430 years. The text also tells us, as we piece together the book of Exodus, that they've been in deep suffering and bondage and slavery for at least 80 years. And a new Pharaoh didn't fix it. He made it worse. Don't worry, I'm not going to chase that rabbit. What if we were known as those who are eager to listen to God's word, are eager to 
repent and believe and be shaped and transformed and reorient what we do around his word and wait on the Lord to do his work. I don't think this calls us, calls us to a, a lazy, fatalistic, do-nothing kind of faith, but it calls us to a faith that understands the work of the kingdom and the work of the church and the work of the Lord are first the work of the Spirit, and they're the work of things that require God to move and to work, and we want to be those who use our lives to say, look what the Lord has done. The people waited on the Lord, and the Lord delivered them. He brought them out of the land of Egypt. Second point, freedom and provision. Freedom and provision. Okay, what happens in the story? Well, a lot happens in the story. But the net takeaway is God's people are free. They're on a new journey, and he's provided for them on the journey. And every bit of this is done in such a way that makes it clear this is what God has done. So first, on that evening, death comes to Egypt. Every household, without the blood of the lamb on the doorway, death comes to the firstborn of the household. And those who had the blood of the lamb on the door, death passes over that household. So death comes to Egypt as God promised. Second, Pharaoh and the people of Egypt are finally broken. They're finally convinced and they are urgent that Israel must go. They were convinced that the people of Israel, the God of the people of Israel, was not going to move or change until they were let go. And so Pharaoh and the people say, please go. Not we'll let you go. Not all shucks, maybe you can go, but please go. And yeah, you wanted your cattle? Take your cattle. Yeah, you know what? You asked for some silver and gold? Take the silver and gold. Just whatever you have to do, we're convinced God's going to deliver you. Please go before something else happens. Go. Third, Pharaoh becomes convinced that the God of Egypt is stronger than all, excuse me, the God of Israel, need to get that correct, the God of Israel is stronger than all the gods of Egypt such that as he's saying, you must go, he also says, and would you ask that I be blessed? Now, don't read into this more than it is. It's not some profession of faith as much as it is a man whose mindset is, is, is tied to God's bless or God's curse. And clearly, I'm currently under curse. So would you ask that the curse would be lifted? The Lord himself had said earlier in Exodus 12 that he was going to bring this 
event, this Passover, to render judgment against all the gods of Egypt. And they're all seeing that this one God is the more powerful God, the more able God, the one who accomplishes his word for his people. So Pharaoh says, could I have a blessing? Fourth, the Israelites, excuse me, the Egyptians gave the Israelites their gold and silver. This becomes provision for the journey. If you know the story well, it also becomes used for the ultimate worship of God. But the Egyptians, again, because God told them to, and because they believed and obeyed God's word, went to their neighbors and said, hey, could we have your silver and gold? And this says they quickly gave it to them. Fifth, the Egyptians begin their journey away from Egypt. The journey happens quickly. Sixth, they left on the very next day, meaning there was no delay. It was Passover and go. And seventh, they left as a mixed multitude. And mixed multitude here means people who were not Physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob chose to go with the Israelites out of the land, which, which becomes our missional moment here, right? Like they saw the power of God for his people, and they were so compelled that they said, we'll go with you. The Lord brought his people freedom, and he provided for them for their new journey. Now, before we leave this point, just a few thoughts of application here. One, Pharaoh is ultimately broken, broken down. He stood in obstinance against the Lord, and the Lord broke him down. The people, stood in obstinance against the Lord, and the Lord broke them down. I wish we had reason to believe that Pharaoh's brokenness resulted in conversion, but we don't. We actually know that here in a couple pages, he's going to try to go get them back. But the point is the same. The Lord will not allow people to stand in the way of him accomplishing his purposes to fulfill his promises for his people. So watching the hardness of Pharaoh's heart and the obstinance of Pharaoh's heart and what it took for the Lord to stir and move and break down Pharaoh's heart, I just have to look out over a room this size and say, man, is God trying to get some of our attention too? Is it possible that you're here today because the one true God who made the heavens and the earth, who is the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the father of Jesus, or is it possible that, that you're here today as a part of his work to break through and get your attention and, and, and say like, hey, I'm real? Hey, I'm good? Hey, I'm powerful. Hey, I deliver my people. 
Is it possible that the Lord is, is working on you in that way? And I would just say, acknowledge him. Believe in him. Turn away from your rebellion against him. Turn away from your hardness of heart. You don't have to end up like Pharaoh. Second point of takeaway from this story, look at the way that God provided for his people. I mean, if we did a straw poll among the Israelites, I mean, who had as their, this is how God's going to provide for us. We're going to ask our neighbors for gold and silver, and they're just going to give it to us. I mean, who, who, who had that one? Anybody? Anybody? No. It's crazy. It doesn't make any human sense whatsoever. And that's kind of the point. Now, we could take this point about the gold and the silver, and we could really spin it into a lot of unhealthy and unbiblical places, like God's people always have an abundance. Not true. God's people are always wealthy. Not true. But God will always provide for his people as they obey him and follow him. True. And how quick we are to forget that the Lord will provide for us all that we need as we follow after him. All that we need doesn't mean abundance. It doesn't mean ease. It doesn't mean everything we want or everything we ask for, but it means that he will provide for his people. This is something that Christians in parts of the world not filled with abundance, materially speaking, have been forced to understand. We must look to the Lord for our daily bread because from where else will it come? So we in a land of abundance almost forget that it's God who provides. And I just want us to remember it's God who provides. And we can trust that he is eager to provide for his people who are following after him. Let's look to him and let's ask and let's trust. Third thought of takeaway from this story, the mixed multitude. They left as a mixed multitude. So this pulls together this biblical theme that, that Abraham was going to be the father of many nations. It pulls together this biblical theme that God was going to bless Abraham so that all the nations would be blessed through him. It pulls together a biblical theme that, that in Christ... Every nation, tribe, tongue, and people will gather around the throne of God. In God's saving acts, he's always pulling people to himself. But what was it that drew them? It was God's power to deliver his people on display. Friends, what the world needs to see from us, the church, the people of God, is not our moral uprightness or our moral superiority or our self-righteousness about how we might vote in a few weeks. What the world needs to see from us is God's power on display. How's it on display? When sinners are saved, how's it on display? 
When broken people are healed, how's it on display? When sick people are healed, how's it on display? When sinful people repent and are renewed and are restored and when broken things are put back together and when unhealthy environments are made whole, God's power and work through his people on display is what the Lord uses to glorify himself and it's what he uses to draw people to himself. So let's make it our desire to display the power of the Lord. Third point. Final point, shortest point, new reality. We have to understand that at the end of this story was probably a weary people who had just been through a whirlwind, who didn't really know what was next. If we took a poll at the end of the day of the Exodus, there was probably a lot of, wait, what? What just happened? Alec Motier says this was probably a day of frenzy. He spent the day before in meticulous preparation for an event on the, on the evening. He had an intense evening of waiting and Longing through the night, you had the shock and horror of death mixed with the relief and joy of salvation. You were ushered away from all that you and generations of your people had known. This whole event happens at a lightning pace. And we're reminded that these moments of God's powerful deliverance usually happen in the seedbed of anxiety and doubt and fear and unbelief and looking to the Lord for help. And what the Lord has done for his people is he's provided something that's better. He's provided something that's different. But this different and better is also very new. And it comes with a transition. It comes with a journey. The people of Israel are now on a journey. They've been set free from the bondage of, of slavery. But they're not yet in the promised land. They're on a journey. The journey is going to cause them to wrestle with who are we? What does it look like to belong to God and God alone? What does freedom mean? And I point this out here today because this is where we find our parallel into this Exodus story. The Exodus is about God delivering his people from the physical slavery of Egypt into a physical promised land at the cost of the blood of a lamb. Our connection here is there are actually two Exodus events in the scripture. There's the one here in the book of Exodus. And there's the one that ultimately comes through Jesus. Where Jesus, the lamb, at great cost to himself, frees his people from the spiritual bondage of sin and death. 
And he is creating for those people an everlasting home, an everlasting place. But we, the people of Jesus now, live in this journey, this journey between slavery and home. And we too wrestle with questions of what does it look like to have a new identity? And what does it look like to be free? And what does it look like to belong to God above all other things? This journey section that begins in chapter 13 is our section. It's the section where we, the people of faith, connect most with the story of the Exodus. But that connection only begins with Jesus. In Christ We've been set free from sin and death, and we say, the Lord has done it. The Lord has done it. The Lord has done it. So our Father and our God, we pray now that you would take these words and you would make them alive and real Cause us to receive them, to believe them, to be shaped by them, and to wait on you in faith, we pray in Jesus' name.